this week on the Tech on Top podcast, we give you the lowdown on NetApp's latest partner in the data protection space, Rubrik. Welcome to the Tech on Tap podcast with Justin Parisi. I love NetApp. Oh, yeah. NetApp, I love this company. Zipark. Zipark. I love NetApp because it's so funny. <laughs> Hello and welcome to the Tech on Tap podcast. My name is Justin Parisi. I'm here in the studio with me today, Dan Isaacs. Hi. Hey, Justin. How's how's your insight prep coming? It's coming. It's going. Yeah, it's going along. Yeah, almost almost there. Got a dry run coming in a, about a week or two. So nice. Everybody likes the dry runs. Um, so on the phone with us today, we have a few guests. Um, first, we'll start off with our guest from Rubric, uh, and that's what we'll be talking about today. So uh, to start us off, Tony Zhao. Uh, formerly of NetApp, now of Rubric. Hi, what do you do and how do we reach you? Hi, Justin. Uh, I'm a product manager at Rubric. I manage all the files protection with a focus mostly on the NAS protection side. Uh, and as Justin said, yes, I am formerly of NetApp. Uh, I actually work closely with Justin on a few items, actually. Yes, we used to work together on NAS, and it just so happens that you're working on NAS now. It's like you can't escape it. Yes, it just brings me right back every single time. <laughs> That's when I thought I was out. They pulled me back in. Also on the phone from Rubric, Pierre Francois Gugliemi. Is that I didn't say that yeah, last name right. right. Did I say that right? Yeah. Holy cow, I did it. <laughs> My gosh. Pierre, what do you do at Rubric? How to reach you? Yeah, so I'm the technical manager of the, the partner solutions team, uh, which is pretty much in charge of our alliance partnerships. Um, and you can reach me on Twitter at, at PFVBND. All right. Also with us today from NetApp, our famous Keith Norby. Hi, Keith. What do you do? How do we reach you? Hey, Keith Norby. You can reach me at, at Keith Norby on the Twitters. Um, everyone else has probably my internal email address and phone number. Um, if you don't, reach out to me on email and I'll, get, I'll give it to you offline. And uh, I'm with the NetApp Strategic Alliances Group. Um, but our WhatsApp photo is all about uh, Will Farrell doing strategery. So that's what we're about is strategery. Also on the phone with us today, uh, Yossi Wise. Hi, Yossi. What do you do? How do we reach you? Hey, Justin. Good to be here again. I'm in uh, product management here at NetApp. And you can reach me on Twitter at Yossi underscore W. And that's Yossi with tw- two S's. All right. Uh, so, Yossi, um, now that I've got you your attention here, um, we're talking about Rubrik today, and I guess the first thing we should mention is why we're talking about Rubrik. So, could you tell us about that? Yes, yes. So, you know, Rubrik has definitely gotten our attention, right? So, we see Rubrik coming in into various places where we have our storage customers, and you know, the goal of having the best experience for all of our customers, we're now working together on interoperability and uh, making sure that our products and Rubrik's products work well together. Excellent. So, um, Keith, uh, you're with Alliances, so. What sort of uh, alliance do we have going on with Rubrik today, and, and you know why is it pertinent to what we're doing here? Yeah, well, we've been leading up to this uh, for quite a while uh, with the help of Yossi, a lot of help in the field, to be quite honest. Uh, this is something that's kind of been organically grown within our joint field organizations, and as of uh, the 24th on, on Tuesday, we're going to be announcing the official partnership. 
And uh, what I think you'll find is you'll find this coming, um, you know, at the starting blocks of, you know, really where we're both on a collision course for mutual customer benefit. Um, so the, the alliance itself is really geared to say, how do we get, how do we how do we define our better together, and then how do we evolve our better together? And I think it's really a two part story that Yossi and I and several other folks, with the help of uh, Sheik, uh, with the help of Chris Mayno, uh, and with a ton of you know brute force and, and will from the rubric uh, field and corporate people to really make a charge in an app and. And for great reasons, you'll hear a lot about why rubric matters in the market. And when you combine that with how NetApp matters, um, you know, the, the benefits start jumping off of you. Excellent. So um, now that we've kind of gotten the why out of the way, let's let's talk about the what. So, uh, Pierre, what is rubric? And, you know, give us kind of a, a 10,000 foot view of what, we do, what you do over there at rubric. Yeah, sure. So rubric uh, does cloud data management. And you know, nowadays, when you think about cloud data management, it often starts with data protection. So we actually started with data protection, and the first uh, thing that we wanted to do was to simplify data management. Because if you think about traditional data protection solutions on the market, uh, they used to be very complex, complicated, complex to set up, to maintain, to deploy, to, and it was a it was uh, quite painful to, to manage all these solutions. And part of the reasons for that is um, they tend to have a very complicated architectures with multiple components that require multiple servers that you need to maintain as well. And so instead of doing this, the first idea was to kind of converge all of these silos, if you will, in one single appliance to simplify. And so instead of having, you know, like a backup server and the backup software and the proxies and the repositories and the catalog and things like that uh, with multiple separate components, you have all in one box. So that means that it's a masterless architecture. Uh, no single node or appliance is, is more important than another. Everything is distributed. And so it's extremely easy not only to set up and, and deploy, but also to scale out. So how do you guys handle the scale out? Like what is the, the underlying technology of how that works? And, you know, how many nodes can you scale out to? Is it infinite? Is there a limit? No, there, there's no real hard limit. Um, so since, again, we, we have a, a masterless architecture, the only thing that you need to make the cr cluster grow is to add nodes or appliances because actually we have a single global namespace where everything is just distributed, whether it's the backup data or the metadata. So you need to you need more capacity, you need to be able to um, back up more data, just add nodes or appliances in the same cluster. That's just it. Does this cluster live within a data center kind of footprint or can it span data centers or locations? Yeah, great question. So th the first thing is, uh, of course, it can be deployed uh, and used in, in data centers on premises but also in the cloud. Uh, so we have different, let's say, flavors of the appliances. They can be physical, uh, but they can also be virtual. And we also have some specific flavors for public clouds, such as AWS or Azure, for example. And so when you have multiple data centers or multiple edge locations as well, or also using the public cloud, you can absolutely ha have one single pane of glass to manage everything wherever the, 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 the clusters are. 
What was that term again? Single. Single. Oh, the sing- single pane of glass. It's it's something that we call <laughs> Polaris GPS. <laughs> so I, I, we laugh because every time somebody says single pane of glass, we 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 hit a little chime. Oh. <laughs> ding ding. <laughs> you can't hear it on your end, but it's very funny to us. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So, what kind of uh, network connectivity is needed uh, in between the cluster nodes? So. Uh, the the physical appliances, if we're talking about physical appliances, uh, come with multiple uh, NICs. Uh, some are dedicated to management, some are dedicated to uh, data. Uh, and so for the data, we use 10 to 25 gigabit NICs, Ethernet cards. Uh, and for the management, it's just um, one gig, which is more than enough for, for the cluster management. So... The backup protocol, is this NDMP? Is this object storage? How are you handling the backups? Yeah, great question. So um, depending on what we have to backup, because we actually support multiple data sources, uh, but you know, to, to put it very simply, uh, whatever the data source is, we just use the network. Uh, so if we think about things such as uh, virtual environments, um, we do support multiple hypervisors, but for example, with VMware vSphere, uh, we just go over the NBD SSL protocol. And, and for, you know, like physical machines, we have uh, some sort of agents that we don't call really agents. We call that connectors. Um, and, and obviously, we communicate with these connectors through the network to retrieve the data. So my spider sense is tingling that you don't like to call them agents for a reason. Um, why don't you like to call them agents and why do you call them connectors instead? Yeah, so um, when you think about backup agents, usually it's it's also uh, a quite painful piece of the architecture. Uh, and the reasons for that are that you have to take care about the versions of the operating systems in which you deploy them, of the applications that you need to protect. And only you have to deploy them, but you have to maintain them and to update them and also make sure that whenever you have an update at the application or operating system level, uh, you need to make sure that it's still compatible with your agent. So, and sometimes it breaks the agents. And if it's break, if it breaks the agent, then you don't have any backup or restore anymore. And so we, we don't work like that. So what we have is what we call the RBS, the rubric backup service. So the connector. And, you know, we have multiple versions, if you will, but just for the different families of operating systems that we support and applications that we support. Like, for example, um, for the different w- versions of Windows that we support, we just have one version of the connector for Windows. Uh, same for SQL or Oracle, for example. For the different versions that we support, it's just one single connector, and you don't have to manage the, the, the versioning or, or or the updates the the, the, the connectors are self-updating and self-managing so you mentioned operating systems but you also mentioned um, applications so I would imagine that rubric interacts with the applications to put them into a state where they can be backed up without having any sort of inconsistencies is that something that is leveraged or is that you know how, how do you handle that correct yeah um, again it depends on on the uh, the, the environment that you that you back up, but for example, if we think about uh, again virtual environments in VMware, you have the APIs, the VMware APIs for for data protection that we leverage, 
Um, and when you do that for application consistency or file system consistency, you can, um, for example, leverage the existing um, VSS components that are provided by the VMware tools. Or you can use the ones that we provide with our connector because we actually have components that interact with the VSS framework as well. Uh, but that's all in the Windows world. So for everything that is not Windows, uh, we can also absolutely call pre-freeze and pasta scripts, for example, to make sure that the applications are in a consistent state at the time that we will start the bar, start so, the backup. So would you have a connector running inside of the VM in order to ensure the file system or uh, application consistency? So yes and no. So you don't necessarily have to deploy the, the rubric backup service in all virtual machines to do that. Because again, you can absolutely rely on the VMware tools, for example, or the other hypervisors um, native components. Uh, but in some specific situations, I'm thinking about SQL Server or Exchange or Active Directory, that it's better to go through our connector because actually it's going to go further than just calling the VSS request to make sure that everything is consistent. It will go further than that and do some application processing on top of that. So for instance, uh, in an exchange environment, the uh, at the end of the of a successful backup, we will trigger the, the um, lock truncation, exchange lock truncation. Uh, for, for SQL, we can go further than that, and we do go further than that. Uh, we also leverage this kind of framework, but with our connector, also to make sure that we can back up the transaction logs to provide point-in-time recovery for very short RPOs. In a, yeah. So um, what about uh, LUNs and SAN? Do you interact with the operating system to make sure that LUNs are consistent, or do you just not do SAN at all? So we do not do send directly. Um, what we would do is that if it's virtual, well, we would just trigger the VM snapshot without, you know, delegating the operation to to uh, the storage. If it's a physical lung connected to physical server for an application, for example, we will deploy RBS within the operating system, and the, the, the connector in that case will interact with the operating system and the application, but not directly with the LUN or or the storage in that case. And as far as the storage interaction goes, is this REST API? Is this SnapDiff? I mean, how, how are you interacting with the, the ONTAP systems? Yeah, great question. Um, so yeah, when it comes to interacting with APIs, so the first thing uh, that I think is important to note is that Rubrik was built with an API-first architecture. So when our engineers develop new features, they uh, to make them available, they first create the API endpoints. And then on top of that, we have the graphical user interface that just basically calls the API endpoints. So our, our UI is just the first consumer of our, of our APIs. So everything can be automated. So APIs is really important to us. Now, when it comes to interacting with uh, the, the primary or the production environment, for example, with uh, NetApp, NAS on tap, uh, we have an integration where we can absolutely leverage the native on tap API to trigger an array snapshot that will uh, be used as a baseline to do some NAS backup or file set backup for for instance. As far as SnapDiff, uh, Tony, do you want to comment on that? 
I think uh, we should just say that there's going. you're going to hear more about this in the upcoming weeks. Uh, for now, we're going to hold it close to our chest. But as P PF said, um, we already called the API to, to create snapshots, and that's the first step because for something like Snapdiff, you actually need snapshots in order to compare them. Um, and that's what we do today, and we're working on further integrations with NetApp, but that's uh, you'll hear more announced in a, shortly. Okay. Um, as far as NAS environments go, I mean, oftentimes these environments can be very large, unstructured data sets, high file count. Um, and as such, it's hard to find things. It's hard to restore things because it takes a while to go through the, the file set. How does Rubrik enable that to work better? When we actually back up NAS, we actually don't use NDMP, uh, as PF stated earlier. We actually go through the NAS protocol, whether that's NFS or SMB, and we actually go in and index all the files as we back them up. So we actually go through three, th three phases of our NAS backup. You have a scan, fetch, and then a copy. Uh, scan is essentially what it sounds like. We will go and scan the file system, uh, find all the metadata, decide which files we want to back up uh, using user-defined rules. During the fetch, we will fetch it onto the brick, our appliance. And then during the copy, we will copy it to either the internal file system of the brick or an archival location. So if you notice, we when we do the backup, we've already scanned the entire file system. So when you try to restore any files, you can actually browse through the entire file system already, and you can choose granularly which files you want to recover. So there's no, uh, you don't have to restore the entire image of the system just to get out a few files. Okay, so you can quickly find things, I guess, with the search fun functionality in Rubrik. Yes, you can. Uh, so each all the files are already indexed for NAS, so you can just. You can actually use, um, we it's like Google-like search. Uh, you type it into the search bar in our UI, and you can actually find the exact files uh, or by file name matching uh, which files you want to recover, or directories as well. In fact, you can actually, it's like a shopping cart interface where you can just pick and select uh, the directories of files you want to recover, and then you choose whether to export that to your original location, or you can actually export that to any like NAS. So if you backed it up using NFS, you can restore it to actually any NFS host. Um, that's one of the ways that we offer flexibility and recovery um, of the files for our customers. So Tony, with this index file, are there other use cases other than you know searching and restoring? I mean, do we capture metadata like file owners or file sizes or that sort of thing? And can we sort those that information to make things easier for our data management? So yes, we can. We actually capture all the file metadata, including ACLs, um, file owner, access time, uh, modified time. All all the file uh, metadata attributes are actually captured, and we try to uh, restore as many of those as possible, uh, depending on the method. So, like I said earlier, if you try to download, you can have one option to recover files is actually to download it directly from our appliance, uh, of which you know we can't restore the ACLs. Uh, when you try to download it, just because the file is kind of the file metadata is not included at that point. But yes, you can definitely all the file metadata is captured, and you can uh, definitely use that to find the files that you need to. Yeah, and I mean not so much for finding files. I mean for if I need to do reporting. So if I want to show all the ten gig files I have in my environment, would Rubrik be able to use that catalog to index all those files and generate a report? So today, not yet. Uh, we definitely have customers who, since we're API-driven, you can actually use it to find the files. Um, so for something like ServiceNow, you can actually integrate it to use the metadata that we capture and kind of uh, use that metadata to sort and uh, you know, create reports. But directly in the UI, not today, that you, uh, you can't really 
say, I want to find all the 10 gig files and recover all of them um, right now. But that's something, since we're API driven, that's something you can enable easily through um, other applications or integrations into Rubrik. Okay. So you mentioned no NDMP support for NAS. Um, you mentioned you do NF- NFS and SMB. What versions of NFS and SMB are supported today with Rubrik? So all the modern versions, we don't do NFS 1 or 2 because I, I don't know of anybody who actually still uses those. You'd be um, surprised. <laughs> uh, yes, that's usually the... Somebody will come out and surprise me and say, yes, I, of course I use NFS 2 in my, uh, in my environment. But no, we support NFS 3 and 4 and SMB 1, 2, and 3. Of course, we prefer that you use SMB 2 or 3 just because SMB 1 is an aging protocol. Um, yeah, I have my own crusade against that. But any of the modern protocols will work. Uh, and you can connect directly through that. And regarding NDMP support, we actually don't see it as a lack of NDMP support. We actually cautiously chose not to do NDMP just for all the reasons associated with it. I'm guessing you're suffering because of that because people are saying, where's my NDMP? But you're, and then you have to give them this feel about why that's not good. I'm just, I'm just thrilled that you said SMB, not SIFS. Um, then again, I'm on. Oh, yeah. So, so, so Keith, uh, SIFS. <laughs> anyway, continue. <laughs> Yeah, so we, the reason we chose NDMP not to support NDMP is actually due to the, um, we looked at how modern backups are working and we saw that NDMP does not really fit well into there. So yes, of course, we will get one customer or two saying, oh, but I like my NDMP, you know, I like going to tape. Uh, actually, I, I've never heard anybody say that in reality, but. Uh, <laughs> it's not that they like it. It's just that they've got it already in their environment and the pain of trying to yeah, change, change is going to be nobody tough likes, for them. Nobody likes change. Yes. I mean, we do have customers like that where they say, uh, you know, they grumble, NDMP, you know, I already, it's already working. Why can't I use it? But to, in, re, in reality, uh, there's a lot of, uh, limitations to NDMP, and we actually have a white paper that goes very much in detail on this on our on our website rubric.com. Um, basically, the form, there are a few main reasons. Uh, one of the main reasons is that the NDMP protocol, when you're trying to back up a specific uh, vendor's host, it, the the protocol can be specific to that host. So what we found is that, for example, if you back up one vendor and you try to restore it to another vendor using NDMP, that doesn't work because uh, it's specific to that host. So you need a file like host just restore it. Uh, the other thing we found is that it requires cataloging, right? NDMP takes the, you have to catalog all the files in the ND, NDMP backup after you've taken it. And that requires additional infrastructure, additional uh, resources to just uh, create a catalog. And then you have to maintain all the catalogs as well. Whereas going in via NFS or SMB, we already index all the files. So we have all the metadata uh, right on tap. Haha. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I see so what you did there. Directly. <laughs> So, um, what about S3 and, you know, how does it interact with something like cloud copy? Like, are you able to move the data into the cloud easily? And if you do, how do you do that? So for NAS, we can definitely use any AWS S3 compatible storage, whether that's in the public cloud, whether that's your, uh, private, um, that what, whether it's on prem private, uh, object store, uh, as long as AWS three compatible, we generally can use that as an archival location, um, and that we have actually a very wide list of uh, all the S3 compatible object stores that you can use directly with Rubrik already. Yeah, I mean, S3 is S3, so that really shouldn't be a huge factor. Yeah, that's not really a huge factor. Um, we also, I mean, even beyond that, we also support uh, Azure Blob uh, of that uh, 
and the other types of, I guess, cloud storage as well. So S3 is just, once we implemented it, um, we can use it directly for any of the archivals. PF, do you have anything to input on using S3 object stores? Yes, the, the good thing about uh, using S3 or this kind of object storage with Rubrik is that is it's native. I mean, it's built in since version one. Um, and you don't have, you know, I'm getting back to the fact that you don't have to deal with complicated things such as jobs, for example. And so we have a, a policy um, engine that manages everything. So instead of dealing with the jobs, you just have to think about the users or the customer's priorities in terms of data protection, such as, you know, the RPOs and the, and the short-term retention, long-term retention, revocation, things like that. And you put all these parameters in the policies that we call the SLA domains. And actually, the, 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 the archival settings are part of these SLA domains. So once you have your policies configured with archival enabled to your S3 target, which can be private object storage or public cloud storage, for, for instance. Well, you just have to attach your policy to anything that you need to back up, and that's it. Once it's done, well, the archival will be done automatically to your S3 target. It's extremely well integrated. Okay, excellent. Um, so, as far as the NF, uh, the sorry, the uh, the NAS protocols, do we support all like minor versions as well, like four one, and do you support four two even? And you know, in addition to that, with SMB, do you support things like signing and sealing? So four one and four two are uh, not directly supported right now. Just as we continue to see market adoption of that, uh, we tend to focus on the, the ones that deliver us the biggest uh, bang for the buck, right? So that's NFS just v3 and v4 by itself and all the smb features uh yes if you have encryption uh, smb encryption all uh, smb security all that's already supported uh we just use uh what we call libnfs or libsdb as our libraries and those actually already have support for all the minor features of nfs and smb um, we use those to connect directly to the NAS hosts so okay so um as far as access goes with with rubric, what do you need to manage the cluster? Is there a, a cluster administrator you have to set up, or can you do that at the local storage virtual machine level with with RBAC? I mean, how does that access work? If you're referring to the, uh, you mean integration with the NetApp APIs? Well, like, so what, what? yeah, so like for for example, like if I have a rubric and I don't want to give it full cluster rights, I want to give it just rights to the SVM, so that you know only the SVM administrator can manage that SVM. Like the rubric can't touch anything else in the cluster. Can I do that in terms of multi-tenancy or do I have to give it like a broad cluster admin right? No, we actually don't need a full, we can actually do read only actually. Um, we don't even need to, we don't even need write access to, to back up the files. Um, you could definitely set, we have actually a detailed list of exact permissions you need to set up just in order to uh, use APIs. And if you're not using the APIs, it's just a matter of access. As long as we have permission to uh, to the export or the share, and we can read the files, we can back it up. And that's one of the beautiful things about going through NFS and SMB is that uh, since the protocol is standard, as long as we have permission to read the files, you don't need anything further than that if you don't want to use the APIs. Right. If you want to use it, yeah. Right, for the NAS piece. But I'm talking about like for the snapshot creation or kicking off a snap mirror or something along those lines where Rubrik has to interact with the APIs and the cluster can I can I limit that in the cluster? 
Yeah, so we normally use what we call the backup operator role. That's kind of, uh, apparently fairly standard uh, between NetApp and uh, other vendors as well. Uh, the permissions there is usually sufficient to to create the snapshot, to read the files off, um, to manage the snapshot as well. Since we delete this, currently we delete the snapshot after we're done with it to save few space on the NAS host as well. And those permissions are sufficient enough for us to uh, create the snapshot and manage it. Okay. So basically read access for the protocols and then read AP. Well, probably you would need permissions just for snapshot pieces within the APIs for, for NetApp and not so much like you know permissions to other APIs. Do you cover that? Yeah, in, do you cover that in detail in, in a doc somewhere? I mean, I can I can RTFM. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think um, we actually have an FAQ coming out shortly that will address these. Um, but yes, we don't need something like VS Admin. That's not something we need just to use this snapshotting right. ability. Yeah. Okay. Do we want to talk about the hardware? I mean, does I, hardware I really like matter? It. No. <laughs> It's not supposed to matter, Dan. Doesn't mean I don't like to talk about it. I know. Do you guys want to talk about the hardware? Rubric guys? I'm actually not as familiar with the hardware piece, but PF, do you uh, do you want to talk about hardware? Well, we can, but I agree that it's not. It's probably not the most important piece. But yeah, we do have our appliances. Um, but actually, we, we tend to move to some kind of more software-driven approach. And, and actually, we can, we can install the software uh, on industry standard servers as well. So, um, yeah, let's say that hardware is just commodity. Yeah, so, and that was kind of where I was leading that. So you guys are more the software-defined approach, right? So do you also have something that's cloud-native uh, to, to use? Yeah, indeed. Uh, so I, I quickly touched on the, the fact that we have different flavors earlier. And we have what we call the cloud clusters for AWS and Azure. But in terms of, of really native backup of public cloud, we have something today for uh, AWS EC2. So um, it's, it's, a, it's a built-in functionality both in CDM and Polaris today. Um, and it actually triggers the EBS snapshots to do the native backup and then do everything that we would normally normally do with, with rubric for backing up pretty much anything. But we, we do trigger the EBS snapshots to do native EC2 uh, backup in that case, yes. Well, do you have like an like a rubric instance that can run in the cloud? Like let's say if I want to avoid having to install it on a server or avoid having to install it, you know, an appliance, can I have like yeah. a rubric instance in the cloud that actually manages all my backups? Yeah, so that's that's the uh, the cloud clusters. So we have the cloud cluster ready to go for Azure and AWS. Okay. It's basically a version of CDM that is pre-packaged, if you will, uh, in the form of virtual cluster specifically for Azure or AWS. But other than that, for what I was describing for uh, native EC2 backup, it's just a feature of Polaris. And in that case, Polaris is a SaaS platform. So there is not even anything to deploy in that case. So with the rubric cloud piece, can can I back up things that are on-prem or is it only cloud resident stuff that I can back up? What we would recommend, so it's the same software with the same features and, and, and so on. But what we would recommend is that if you want to back up your data on-premises, you would most probably uh, want to deploy uh, a cluster on-prem. Uh, however, since we are 
um, making a lot of progress with Polaris. Um, more and more features that were usually uh, available on, on the CDM software, so deployed on-prem, um, tend to become available in Polaris as well. So for example, we have now global SLA domains that you can create in Polaris. And again, Polaris is that SaaS platform. And then you can attach your SLA domains to different clusters. But in that case, if you will, Polaris is the control plane, but you still have some CDM clusters on-prem to act as the data plane. So I, I'm not terribly cloud literate. Could you explain what, what Polaris is? Yeah, sure. So Polaris uh, is our SaaS offering. It's a unified system of record. Uh, and we have different modules, if you will, that we call apps. And the first one that we had uh, is called GPS. And GPS is the component or the app in Polaris that allows to have um, a single or centralized management of multiple clusters, multiple rubric clusters that may be deployed on-prem in multiple data centers, edge locations, public clouds. And so it gives you that uh, centralized um, interface to manage everything. Then you have another app that was released last year, uh, which is called Radar. And Radar uh, was the first use case of how we can give value to the backup data. What I mean by that is, you know, usually when you just think about the backup data, it's just here, it's stored, and you apply retention to that, and that comes with a cost. And it's only used when you have anything to recover. But the rest of the time, it's just dormant, so it's costly. And so we wanted to find a way to use that data and, and give it value. And so the way that we do it with Radar is that we actually um, use the metadata that is generated during the backup, and we analyze that metadata to uh, identify the changes at the file system level for the workloads that are backed up uh, between two snapshots. And from that, we are able to detect anomalous behaviors, such as, for example, a ransomware attack, so when um, a massive amount of files have been encrypted, uh, and we can give visibility over what has been done or what has been impacted very granularly, and from there, we give the customers the ability to recover only what has been impacted in one click. Um, and we'll have more and more applications like that on Polaris. So like native protection that I was talking about previously uh, for EC2 instances. We have app flows that was announced recently um, that will also be a Polaris module for disaster recovery orchestration from on-premises to AWS in the first version. Um, and more to come. And, and again, we'll have more applications to really use that metadata and bring value or give value to the backup data in the future. Okay. So Polaris is a one of one of Rubrics applications. Yeah. Okay. Absolutely. Sorry. Because it's a data audience, maybe if you could define um, what snapshot means to you guys versus yes. you know what it probably means to NetApp is different things just to clarify absolutely fair enough uh that's actually a great point um and and usually when you think about data protection uh the, the, the data is just called backup um what we call snapshots are, at rubric uh are basically our backups so the backup files are called snapshots with rubric cdms so it's it's nothing 
it's it's completely different from from an array snapshot or a NetApp snapshot. But our backups are called snapshots. That's interesting because there's this like religion that snapshots aren't backups. <laughs> <laughs> and you've chosen to fully embrace the notion that snapshots are backups. Yeah, literally. And, and to that point, you know, I think that the thing I've been saying internally is that, you know, however you want to define it, snapshots is just the beginning of the ability to recover. And it's, you shouldn't be able to even talk about data protection unless you can figure out how you're going to recover. Mm-hmm. We'll get to the recovery part here uh, in a little bit. Well, that'll be the next section. Go ahead, uh, Pierre. Yeah, so, so part of the reasons why we call it snapshots, I guess, is that uh, when we store the backup data, we actually then manage retention and versioning. And so when we have a snapshot or a backup uh, that is written, that is ready, it's locked and it becomes immutable. And this is from that that we start to do versioning and apply retention. And that's, that's an interesting aspect of the solution because with immutable backups, you are, for example, uh, protected at least for the backup data from encryption, ransomware attacks, crypto lockers, and things like that. So, uh, Yossi, um, this whole going from on-prem to cloud and back again sounds like a challenge. Do we have anything here at NetApp that, I don't know, helps that? So, we definitely have all, uh, a number of technologies that allow to us to transport data from on-premise to cloud. And we are, uh, you know, the product management teams and the technical teams are in active conversations around how we could, you know, make our customers experience better with by getting the technologies to work together. So I'd say stay tuned. Yes. Uh, and, and, and would there be a term for this uh, functionality? Uh, again, I would say stay tuned. <laughs> Is it, is, would it be a data fabric? Oh, well, he, that is an awesome question. Yes, we would definitely brand it as part of the data fabric. I think the story for customers would be that, you know, here's, here's a, a partner that's leveraging the capabilities of the data fabric and, you know, we're both, both, both benefiting from it. Excellent. Not, it's not a data brick, so it's got to be something else. Oh, a data fab brick. That's what you, oh, you, there's your marketing campaign. <laughs> Just that, okay. There you go. You're welcome. You know, also what, what was said too is we sort of skipped over the hardware part, but, you know, it, listening on the phone are folks that have to architect software and hardware configurations. So while it certainly is applied to, you know, universal white box hardware or generic hardware or whatever, you know, make sure that <clears throat> I think in this case, the importance about how to, you know, engage with rubric people to help with the configurations of how you're trying to size this with storage grid and some of the future offerings, you know, make sure you get a good understanding for how you have to size those things. And, you know, it probably bears a little bit of, a uh, little bit of understanding to know exactly how they construct, um, how they start with flash and disc and object and, you know, that that's all accounted for. AKA sizing. Exactly. So, um, Pierre, uh, Backups are only as good as their restorers, so let's talk about that. So how does Rubrik handle the restorers, and is there a way to maybe like test restorers before actually restoring the data? I mean, how, do, how does all that functionality take place? Yeah, so, you know, one, one thing that is top of mind, in my opinion, when, when it comes to uh, restoration is how fast you can restore. And for that, we have a number of technologies and, and features to allow customers to recover fast. 
So we, we can think about things such as instant recoveries or live mounts, which basically allows thanks to... So let me take a step back. Um, we talked about uh, our snapshots, our backups in our cluster. And the way we store data on our cluster is actually very specific because we use a proprietary homemade file system called Atlas. And with Atlas, everything is distributed. That's, that's for uh, obvious reasons of availability, high availability, and redundancy. Um, but it also allows to create zero block copies of the data. And thanks to this, we can actually present zero block copies of data instantaneously to a production host. So for example, I have a backup of a virtual machine and that virtual machine was very critical. It crashes. I can absolutely choose the latest backup or a previous one and publish that from the rubric cluster directly to the hypervisor of my choice and power it on instantaneously. But the good thing is that we're not able to do that only with, with virtual machines because actually there are other solutions on the market that can do that. But we can also do that with applications and specifically databases. So think about a critical, I don't know, Oracle database, for example. Uh, that was used for a very critical uh, application, business application. In that case, what you can do is exactly the same. Create a zero block copy of that uh, database from the rubric cluster and publish it to the production Oracle host to make it available instantaneously to the DBAs. That's, that's extremely powerful. So what exactly is a zero block copy? So that's that's completely handled uh, by Atlas, the file system. Uh, but even though the technology is, is proprietary uh, in the concept, I think you can probably compare this to how snapshotting works on data on top. So um, as far as I know, with on top, snapshot, snapshots do not cons consume that much data thanks to the technology, or that much space, I should say. It's it's the same kind of approach, let's say. Okay, so basically pointers that get redirected and then the data gets yes. copied over it while it's being used. Yes. Okay, excellent. Um, as far as the instantaneous part of that goes, I mean, we're talking about as soon as you want it, you got it? Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And, and there's no dependency on the size of the workload that you need to instantaneously recover. So uh, since we directly publish the image that you want to be available uh, or you want to recover, uh, it's it, it doesn't really matter. The size doesn't really matter. You just have to choose what you want to recover, publish it, power it on, and it's done. For the data protection wonks, wonks in, in the uh, listening on, if you could maybe just go just one flight level deeper, a return time objective and a return point objective. When you say instantaneous, do you mean down to the block transaction change level and is it instantaneous to that or could you just make sure you have just one level of granularity more on the the time yeah, and the sure. granularity absolutely yeah great great point so uh for the rtos so the time it takes to uh make the uh recovered recovered workload available it's really a matter of seconds it's extremely fast now in terms of rpo uh, it depends, of course, on the SLA domain and, and what has been configured in terms of backup frequency. But for things such as uh, VMware virtual machines or SQL databases or Oracle databases, 
So for the databases, we are able to back up the transaction or archive logs. And with this, we enable point in time recovery to have very, very granular RPOs in that case. So we can go back to a specific uh, transaction. Um, and for the virtual machines, and that's, that's really very new, it's been announced very recently, uh, with version 5.1, we'll, we'll introduce what we call CDP, so continuous data protection, uh, which will basically allow for continuous backup of G-Sphere virtual machines to um, have the capability to recover, um, like, it, we'll have sub-minute RPOs in that case, because we will actually capture the IOs and be able to replay them. So a data rewinder. Sorry, what was that? So basically a data rewinder. Pretty much. Yeah, absolutely. You said the recovery piece, you know, takes less than a minute, um, you know, fairly instantaneous. What if I want to do things like, I don't know, let's say I have a database that I don't necessarily want to restore uh, over the original one, but I want to put it somewhere else because I have transactions I want to query for reports or something. Yes. Or it, can, I, can I do that? And can I leverage something like FlexClone with ONTAP? Okay. So, to, so two questions here. To, to answer the first one, yes, you can absolutely do that. And it's the same technology. Uh, the, the, the only difference is that we don't call that instant recovery in that case because it's not for recovery purposes. It can be for test or day or dev purposes for example we call that live mount but it's exactly the same technology same principle except that you do not present to the same production environment or at least you do not overwrite uh the uh the, the data or the database or the virtual machine that was previously um there and that that crashed or failed uh, so that's the live mount and you can absolutely mount a database a virtual machine to another host to another database server, for example, to do whatever the DBAs or the admins have to do with that. Uh, and to answer the second question, we do not currently integrate uh, with uh, with such NAP technologies, uh, such as FlexClone, for example. Yeah, that was something I was thinking about, was uh, we have a lot of customers u utilizing SnapMirror to do replication to a second site for mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. uh, backup purposes, and we have a number of them that leverage that backup site to do their test in dev uh, because yes. they can spin up a flex clone of the mirrored data set. Um, would you be able to uh, do your backups from that uh, mirrored location instead of the uh, production environment? So, like I said, we don't have currently such integrations with primary storage. So, today, no, but um, as it was sort of said uh, previously, um, we, we are currently uh, investigating investigating further integrations uh, with, with NetApp. Well, to, so, to back up on that, so I mean, it, all Dan's asking is, can we interact with the SnapMirror destination? And what I'm hearing is, is we interact with NAS. So it really shouldn't matter if it's a source filer or a destination filer. It's just NAS. So, Justin, I can actually answer that one. So, for a SnapMirror destination, um, the snapshot integration won't actually work because uh, what we do when we ca uh, call the snapshot API is we create our own snapshot from which to index off of, and that's because we have our uh, SLA policies. So, we have to adhere to our to, to the to that SLA policy and how frequently we call that snapshot. 
So obviously you can't snapshot a snapshot. Um, that doesn't ah, work okay. on snap, yeah. secondary. But if you wanted to just index, uh, if you just wanted to point it to the snapshots without any of the snapshotting capability, um, that's something I, I think we should be able to do today. Um, because like you said, if the files are available on the, on the snapshots, on SnapMirror secondary, then we can absolutely just back those up. Yeah, and I mean like with... with- Things like unstructured data and in home home directories and file shares, we don't necessarily need that integration where we pause and quiesce data like with the applications. We can just take those files and grab them. Yes, you could absolutely do that. But I, I, uh, one thing I tell uh, the users is that the snapshot and capability is not just for quiescing; it's also to ins- ensure a consistent point in time um, snapshot of the of your entire data set. So if you uh, if you have a very large unstructured NAS uh, environment, let's say like a petabyte or something, it will take some time to just uh, find all the files and to fetch them onto the brick itself. So there will be there, it's not instantaneous backup, right? Uh, we still need that snapshot to make sure that if we took a backup at midnight, all the files look as if they were taken at midnight rather than at twelve o five or twelve o ten or twelve ten or something of that sort. So you know, backing up a little bit with the scans. Um, how fast are the scans? Are they multi-threaded? Are they single-threaded? And how intensive are they on to the on the storage systems? Like how how much process do they eat up? So that's one of the great things of parallel architectures that uh, we actually can dial that up or down as needed. Uh, these are we we pull data down in about uh, in partitions, and the number of scans and the number of fetches is actually something you can configure and tune to the level of system available. So if you know that your production system is uh, very heavily used, we can actually tune down the number of parallel threads on scan and fetch so to make sure that you actually have all the IOPS you, you need for your production workload. But if you, have, if you know that the system is going to be quiet, we can actually tune up the number of sessions or the number of partitions that we pull down at a single time. And that actually scales up both per node and by the number of nodes. So the more nodes, the more rubric nodes you have, the more uh, concurrent sessions you can do, which means that if you have a large enough cluster, you can do it very quickly and in a very parallel manner. And I know we can do backups and restores. Is is that something that we could use for e- even migrations if you wanted to? I don't think we uh, look at rubric as a migration tool per se. This is more just uh, data protection as it is currently. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, if you really wanted to use it, it'd be like, uh, well... I mean, it's like saying you can use a hammer on anything, right? <laughs> <laughs> Look, I just see as everything is a nail, all right? <laughs> <laughs> if the whole world is a nail to you, then yes, you can use a hammer on everything in the sense that, yes, you can probably use, if you really wanted to, you could use Rubrik as a data migration. But uh, our our main objective is data management and data protection currently, but that doesn't stop you from using it in the sense. Um, like I said, you could back it up and then export it to a different NAS if you really wanted to do that. Excellent. Pierre, Tony, for more information about Rubrik, where could we learn? I would just say our website is great, rubrik.com. You can find all the information. Well, all the information we talked about today, plus probably a bit more. And I'm sure if you're a field rep or a partner, we'll have some information out there for you on the field portal. Exactly. So we'll have multiple collaterals uh, to have the the, the field, uh, whether technical or or sales tools as well. All right, uh, Tony, uh, Pierre, Francois, Yossi, and Keith, thanks so much for, and Dan, you know, thanks for joining us uh, today. You're welcome, Justin. Again, if we wanted to reach you, Pierre, how do we do that? So yeah, re- re- reach me on Twitter at P 
pfguglielmi, but also by email at pf at rubric.com. All right. And uh, Tony? Yeah, you can. Uh, I don't do the Twitter thing as often, but you can definitely reach me by email. That's tony.zao at rubric.com. That's Zulu Hotel Oscar Uniform. That is my last name. All right. And uh, sir, Keith? Yes, sir. Norbs. 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 Norbs, at, Norbs at Twitter. Norbs at Twitter. You can, you can reach you can reach me via Yossi. No, okay. Um, <laughs> you guys got my info. At Keith Norby. At Keith Norby. And Yossi, finally. Uh, sure. Email for d- detailed questions. Email is probably best. J-W-E-I-H-S at netapp.net.com. Sorry. All right. And, netapp.net. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And... Uh, Dan, um, uh, if in case for whatever reason somebody wants to reach you, how do they do that? You can do that at Dan Isaacs on the Twitter and just Isaacs at NetApp. So if you want to talk about hardware, Dan, Dan would love to. He's been chomping in the bit this whole podcast, and, but we're not going to do it. It's not going to happen. Maybe next time. Maybe. Probably not. All right, that music tells me it's time to go. If you'd like to get in touch with us, send us an email to podcast at netup.com or send us a tweet at netup. As always, if you'd like to subscribe, find us on iTunes, SoundCloud, and Stitcher or via techontappodcast.com. If you like the show today, leave us a review. On behalf of the entire Tech on Tap podcast team, I'd like to thank Tony Zhao, Pierre Guglielmi, Keith Norby, Yossi Wise, and Dan Isaacs for joining us today. As always, thanks for listening. Oh, yeah. Is it just me that's getting off on this? Oh, yeah.